Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. Uh, This is a picture from huts that people actually live in today in Africa. And uh, not everybody, I mean, Africa has some major cities that are millions of people in them in some of the countries, but there are parts of the country where they still live like this. And I uh, came across this article that I shared with you here years before. Some of you may remember it. Uh, It was titled, Single and Serving the Savior in Sub-Saharan Africa. And this lady writes, when I was a kid, my dream was to be a school teacher, musician, or basketball player. Later, as a structural engineer, I had my expectations of my future. By age 30, I wanted to have a significant corporate career, two kids, and be the kind of mother who planned birthday parties with clowns and inflatable bounce houses. How many of you think clowns are fun? They're kind of weird, right? Then she said, but at age 30, I live in an African hut, a far cry from that big colonial-style house I pictured. The only ladders I'm climbing are not the corporate ones, but the ones leading to hut rooftops. I'm not married, but live in a 10 by 10 hut with a teammate who shares her cans of tuna with me. Instead of having two children, there's a village full of them around me. The only parties I'm throwing are the end of rainy season celebrations. I turned in the keys to my BMW convertible to ride on the back of an open air donkey cart. (laughs) Who knew that on my 30th birthday, I'd wake up in the world of the Sanufo Sapira people who don't know Jesus. I woke with a desire in my heart for these friends to know Jesus, not for any of my previous dreams. My birthday was not what I had expected, but it was beyond anything I could have imagined. His plans are far better than anything I could have dreamed. Monica wrote those observations on her birthday 10 years ago. She's turning 40 this year. I would guess she's still serving the Savior, wherever that may be. Heavenly Father, as we look at uh, another aspect of the fruit of the Holy Spirit's working in our lives, Let us be mindful of the faith that you want us to have and the faithfulness that comes from that faith. I pray that we would love you. I pray that we would serve you in a tangible way every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, they're all listed on these banners, and We've worked our way down to here. We're at faithfulness. Uh, We started uh, uh, with love, and this is not nine separate fruits. This is one fruit with nine characteristics. So we've been using this picture to image of the nine nine aspects of the fruit. Can you click that up, Tim? Uh, Just, it's one fruit. So I use this drawing of a pear because that's the one that I could find online for free. And so I use that. Uh, It might not be pear-shaped, it might be, Uh, but look at Galatians chapter five and verse 22. But the fruit 
of the Spirit is, say it with me, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So we're at faithfulness. Faithfulness and how, what does that look like in our lives? And so today we're going to turn and look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, sometimes called the roll call of faith. And uh, the Spirit is supernaturally giving you the ability to be faithful. As the Father and the Spirit draw you to salvation, putting your faith and trust in Jesus, that's the faith. By grace, you're saved through faith. And so your, your faith then leads to faithfulness. If you look at, um, don't need to turn there, but Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, he says that you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And the very next verse then says, we are his workmanship. See, the working for God, the labor, comes after you trust him. Your faithfulness should come because you put your faith and trust in him. In the same way, people who get married, when they take those vows seriously every day, they're going to honor those vows. They're going to stick to it. They're going to work through the problems. Now, I know we got a lot of people in this room who have suffered being married to somebody who you were faithful and they weren't. And you've had to endure that. And I feel bad for you. I feel blessed in my own marriage. Uh, but I have family members and I have friends who've had to endure that heartache and that heartbreak. But see, we can do that in our spiritual life with the Lord. I know the testimonies of some of you in this room, you got saved when you were young. And then in your teenage years or early adult years, you kind of drifted away from God. And then you came back to serve God. And praise God that he takes us back, right? Amen. But what a shame that we have to come back. He wants us to stay and be faithful and follow. And so the Spirit is supernaturally giving you that ability to follow the Lord regularly and even continually. Faithfulness is rooted in your faith in God. So Hebrews 11. Now, uh, before we start, well, let's just read the first couple of verses, okay? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is something you hope for. It's not something you have. It's something you long for, yearn for. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Like, you can't see the wind. You can see the effect of the wind. You see things blowing and swirling. You say, wow, it's windy. Well, something's causing things to blow and swirl. Well, if you have love, then you're going to have actions in your life that show the love that you have in your heart. If you have faithfulness in your life, it's because it springs from the faith in your heart. Faithfulness is rooted in your faith in God. It's the evidence of things not seen. Verse 2. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. God created the heavens and the earth. When did he do that? 
In the beginning, he created a fully mature universe, a fully mature planet, and two fully mature people on the planet, along with fully mature plants and animals on it at the beginning of creation. There was no amoeba that split into two. It was fully created as described in scripture repeatedly in the Old and New Testament. God created the heavens and the earth. And so uh, when we believe and trust God, then we're going to be faithful. See, what happens, when do we sin? Well, if we go all the way back to the garden, and sin started with Adam and Eve. That's spelled out in scripture, before sin, there was no death and dying on planet Earth. Adam and Eve sinned. Why did they sin? Because they didn't trust God. Amen. They didn't believe the word of God. Unfortunately, they believed the word of Satan. If they had believed the word of God, they wouldn't have eaten of the forbidden fruit. So the fact is, if we have faith in God, we will be faithful. But if we don't, then we won't. So can you click that up? If we have faith in God, we will be faithful. And anytime you choose to sin, it's because you're believing a lie. You're believing a lie told inside yourself. You're believing a lie told by Satan or a demon speaking into your heart and life. You're believing a lie told by our society. You are not believing the truth of God's revelation because God said your life will be so much better if you don't sin. So when we sin, we are believing a lie. We need to have faith in God. And true faith will lead to faithfulness. They go hand in hand. In the same way that if I said there was a fire in here, and you saw flames suddenly leaping up, up here, none of you would sit in here and say, now is that really a fire? Or are my eyes just deceiving me? Maybe I should go touch it to make sure it's really hot. You wouldn't do that. Well, none of you normal people. There's some weirdos in here. They but the normal people, they would get up and leave. And you wouldn't stampede against each other. You'd go out in an orderly fashion, all the guys making sure the women and children get out first. And, you know, we would do it. We would, but we would not sit here and say, I wonder how much it's going to spread. Now, Kathy might try and get people up here. Get the piano out of here. We can't afford to replace it. <laughs> but you know, we, we would act on it if we believed it. Amen. Now, the Bible says God knows best. He knows best. And God is good. How often? All the time. And so, if we believe that, it's going to change the choices we make on a daily basis. It's going to affect how you eat. It's going to affect how you drive. It's going to affect how you spend money. It's going to affect how you spend your time. It's going to affect what you invest your life into. Because if you really believe that God has your best interest at heart, then you can trust him. Like we just started out with 
the story about Monica, Monica did not dream she would be doing what she's doing. But she trusted God, followed his leading, and now she's in a place where she would have sworn that would not make her happy. But now she's saying, this is beyond my dreams, happy that I am here impacting these people for Christ. So we believe and it changes our life. Now then he gives us some history lessons here about people who were faithful and, and stand as good examples for us in their faithfulness. Right? Look in verse 4. By faith, Abel. Where did Abel come from? Adam and Eve. He was one of the two sons uh, mentioned by name at the beginning, Cain and Abel, and then they had a son, Seth. They had lots of other sons and daughters, uh, but these two were, or three were specifically mentioned. And Abel's mentioned, and then what does he say about Abel? He offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, to which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and to it he being dead still speaks. Now, Abel gave a, an appropriate sacrifice. Cain gave a sacrifice that was of his labor. He gave a sacrifice of his harvest. Uh, but what God had asked for was a blood sacrifice. Hebrews also says, without shedding of blood is no remission. And so the Genesis doesn't describe how God gave that rule to them, but it does clearly say that God respected the blood sacrifice that Abel did, but not the fruit and vegetable sacrifice that Cain did. And so God had already spelled out the rules and Abel did the right thing. Now, what happened to Abel as a direct result of his brother getting upset? Abel died. He died violently, murdered by his own brother. The first family on earth had one son murdered another son. So if you think your family's dysfunctional, we've been this way since the beginning. Amen. Listen, there's two things I want you to think about with Abel. And this happened, it's recorded in Genesis 4. It's a, like 6,000 years ago, Abel lived. But first, your faithfulness is more important than your lifespan. Amen. Abel didn't live to be a long old man. His dad lived over 900 years. Abel, by the description in scripture, the best guess we can have is he was somewhere between 15 and 30 years old, probably, when he died. We don't know for certain. But that's it. He didn't live to be a mature man. So the second thing is that your influence lives even after you die. So how long you live is not nearly as important as how well you live. Amen. We need to have good value. Abel had good values. We're talking today about something that Abel did 6,000 years ago because God recorded it and God praised him and appreciated the sacrifice that he gave. And then in verse 5, he brings up Enoch. Now, there are more than one Enoch. This is the Enoch who's a descendant of Seth. There, there was an Enoch who was a descendant of Cain who was not a good guy. But Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Apparently he went out for a stroll one day and God said, come on home. And he called him up to heaven. 
And so uh, he was taken. We have this testimony that he pleased God. I, here's something you can think about with Enoch that figures into your life, and that is it's possible for you to please God in this life. Amen. Hey, we all know we're going to please God in heaven, right? In heaven, we're not going to have a sinful nature. In heaven, we're going to love and worship Him. In heaven, we're going to serve Him. In, in heaven and the new heaven and the new earth, uh, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to rejoice in the Lord. We're going to have our sinful nature will be gone. It will be eradicated. It will be removed. And we're going to want to do the right thing to do. And we're going to do the right stuff all the time. But you know what? We can do it in this life. Uh, Paul wrote to Titus and he said, we can live righteously in this present age. In the current environment that we live in, we can learn to do the right thing. And Enoch did it in his day when more and more people were turning away from God. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. God just took him to heaven a little earlier than he was taking most people. See, the ultimate goal of this life is not earthly comfort or earthly success. The ultimate goal of this life is preparing ourselves for the life to come, to live with God in heaven forever. Amen. So verse six, he says, the writer puts, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God rewards those who seek him for salvation, and God rewards those who seek his will in their lives after his salvation. You young people, you shouldn't just start dating somebody because they look cute. I mean, that's what drew Kathy to me, right? <laughs> but you shouldn't start dating somebody just because they look cute. You should date somebody because you feel like they're going to help you spiritually. Amen. And if you're dating somebody who's not helping you spiritually, that's the wrong person for you. God wants you to grow and mature in your faith and have that person help you and assist you in that process. As some of you are thinking about what's a career or what do I want to do with my life? Some of you are thinking, I am so glad I no longer have a career. I love being retired. But you know what? You still have decisions to make. You need to pray about things and seek God's will. So what are you seeking? The, the writer says here that if you're seeking the things of God, you can find it. God's a rewarder. God reveals himself to those who diligently seek him. So Enoch sought God and pleased God. What are you seeking? In verse 7, he brings up another character. Now, Abel was about 6,000 years ago. Enoch was about 5,500 years ago. Now we're down to Noah, who was about 4,500 years ago. And Noah, for more than 100 years, he built that ark. Now, this is just a model of the ark. This isn't the big model of the ark that you can go see uh, in um, outside Cincinnati. It's in Kentucky, but they call it outside Cincinnati for some reason. Uh, um, and uh, uh, Kathy and I went before they had this art built. We went through uh, the answers in Genesis thing. But some of you, you guys went to the art, didn't you, Brandon? I know some others have done that. <coughs> it's pretty cool stuff. You can actually do an, a virtual one online. You can download it. Uh, anyway, uh, by faith, Noah 
being divinely warned of things not yet seen. It had never rained until that point. The, the earth was watered by the water coming up out of the ground. You know, I watch Kathy water things and, and plants, and we have some beautiful plants outside our house, and it's because she takes care of them and nurtures them. And, and wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to do that, but water just kind of came up out of the ground? That's what it was like in the beginning. And then after the flood, things changed. And so he had never seen anything like that. Never heard of a ship this size. Uh, they had some small ships to go on lakes, but there weren't seafaring uh, craft at that stage. And But Noah, what did he do? Moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. For more than a hundred years, he built the ark. You see, faith in God always leads to faithfulness. Faith in God always leads to faithfulness. And also trusting and following God always includes difficulties, difficult situations, and lots of hard work. You know, we, we recognize the, the Awana workers, and you see our junior church workers walk out, they take rotations and that, and so they'll do it for a month, and then you see them walk out with the kids to go serve, and, and you, you just know they're not going to walk in there, open the book, and say, well, I hope there's something good in here. No, they've studied, they've prepared, they've worked. Even the people who lead the games in Awana, they prepare in advance for the games. They don't have the kids show up and say like, oh, okay, you know, let's have, throw the body in the, in the dumpster game tonight. No, they actually plan <laughs> legitimate, safe, appropriate, highly energetic games for the kids. And so serving God is a lot of work. Now, some of you on Sunday nights have heard when we have a rotation of musicians on Sunday nights, we often have uh, three or four uh, different people play a song and they have practiced and practiced and worked at it and I, I give testimony to the fact that Kathy practiced literally thousands of hours before she started playing in a church regularly. She practiced all the time. That's why I became deaf. <laughs> That's for all the shooting in the Marine Corps. That's why I, I lost my hearing. But trusting God is not natural. Serving God is not natural. It's a supernatural work that God brings us to trust in Him, and then He empowers us to work and labor and toil. And I was talking with some folks recently. We were talking about how when, when you're on the sidelines, the other team doesn't attack you. But you get out on the court, on the field, uh, and they're going to attack you. They're going to go after you. They're going to start banging into you if you're playing football. They're going to start hitting balls away from you if you're in baseball. Uh, they're going to try and block your shot if you're in basketball. And, and it's those who are on the field in the game. So when you decide you're going to serve the Lord, you get a target on your back. And Satan will do everything he can to discourage you. But you need to follow him. It's definitely worth it. Now, uh, 
Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives were all spared. But the wives' parents, the aunts and uncles and cousins and living grandparents, they all died in the flood. So was this, you know, some random act of God throwing a fit? I'm so upset with these people, I'm going to wipe them out and boom, the flood. No, it was a judgment of God because of their own sinful choices. God still hates the sinful choices of people on earth. But he promised he would never again flood the entire earth as he did back then. The rainbow's a sign of his testimony that he won't flood the earth like that. But we can trust and follow him. But it won't be easy. It'll be a lot of work. Now, then he introduces another character. By faith, Abraham. He was quite a character. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah. Now, he breaks this up. There's some dialogue in between parts, so we're going to jump over that and come back to it in a minute. Verse 9. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. God said, go, and he just went, and then God revealed it to him. Verse 9, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for that heavenly city, longing for God and faithfully trying to follow him. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, he was like a hundred years old, you know, and, uh, and it, they said as good as dead, meaning he should not have been able to father children, but he did. And then, therefore, from him, was born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Jump down to verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So when we look at Abraham and Sarah, started out as Abram and Sarai, uh, Abraham and Sarah, uh, that was about 4,000 years ago. We can look at their life, we can read their history. Uh, it's found in Genesis 11 through 25. Uh, the history, the historical record, and uh, we, First thing is, God moved him outside his comfort zone. He had him go out of Ur of the Chaldee, move outside the comfort zone. He was living in a house, probably a nice house. He was apparently a wealthy guy. He owned a lot of animals in the, the uh, way they would measure wealth in their day. He was a very wealthy guy, you know. I, if I went over to your house and you wanted to show me your wealth, you wouldn't walk me in the backyard and show me your candles and your donkeys and your sheep. And, and probably you wouldn't. And hopefully you wouldn't. But your neighbors might complain about the smell of that. 
But listen, God sometimes has to move us outside our comfort zone. In fact, I'm going to say that a little more strongly. If you're going to be faithful to God, you will move outside your comfort zone. You're going to face circumstances you would have rather not faced. Sometimes you're going to lose friends that you relied on, that you trusted, that you shared meals with, and, and you're going to follow God, and they're not going to follow God with you or in the same way you are. You're going to have some loss of friendship. God makes up for it in other ways. God works in your heart and life. And another thing we need to remember, because Abraham and Sarah were both well past childbearing years. And it is this. Your limitations are not a limitation to God. Your limitations are not a limitation to God. You, know, you, you can have an impact on other people. In fact, it's pretty fun that Megan uh, just kind of sort of arbitrarily started her Tuesday talks. Uh, she thought it was a message I preached and she had some you know, stuff she wanted to share about that idea and take a, another step with it. And so she was praying about it and she thought, well, I should do this. And so she did one. And I think she called it Two Minute Tuesday or something. And then she realized she got a little longer-winded, especially when I shared them with her. Uh, and so she started and called it the Tuesday Talk. And we have received information from people in other parts of the world, including some people my older sister has witnessed to, who live in France, who are not believers, but they have responded to Megan's Tuesday Talks, and people in other countries. And, you know, we're not a huge church, but God's using this church to impact the world through the missionaries we support and through the messages that we post online. And God is at work. Your limitations are not a limitation Amen. to God. Uh, you can do all kinds of things to serve him. Just step up and do it. Now, we have covered in verses 1 through 12 more than 2,000 years of human history. And uh, we've seen faithful people believing and trusting God's salvation, longing for the Messiah. Now jump back to verse 13. He's writing about all these people. He says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. I gotta be honest with you. When God gave us the opportunity to move back to Arizona 25 years ago almost, and we came back, we were, we were excited. I love Arizona. I, I love the variety in Arizona. We can go see my brother who lives down in Tucson. We can go see our kids who live up in Flagstaff. We can see rivers and lakes. And we've gone out on a, a lake and a boat and uh, uh, ripped around on the lake. We've gone skiing. We've gone hiking. We've gone uh, water skiing. Uh, we've, I've gone cliff diving. Kathy didn't join me for that one. Uh, and, but, but we've just really enjoyed Arizona. It's a beautiful state. And, um, 
But if this was as good as it gets, aren't you glad it's going to be way better than this? We're going to see this is life under the curse. Like before the curse, cactus didn't have thorns. And, and now they got some thorns. Lemon trees didn't have thorns, and now they got big, big thorns. Roses didn't have thorns before the curse. That's the curse of the ground. That's what brought the thorns. We are going to see a spectacularly beautiful new earth with none of the damages that have happened to this earth. No smog, no pollution, uh, no... no <laughs> poison toxins in the soils and in the ground and and uh, we're going to be blessed by it and so we long for that homeland I love Arizona I love living here I feel blessed to be here but man we want something so much better we want to live in the presence of the Lord God himself and we want to be with his people. We want to have conversations with Paul and Peter and ask Peter, what did it feel like when little old Paul stood in your face and fussed at you, you know? Uh, we want to ask Peter, when you got out of the boat and started walking, were you moonwalking or were you just walking? You know? Uh, we want to know these serious spiritual things, right? Uh, but we're going to be able to find out these things. We're going to live with people. We're going to praise God. You and I are going to sing in a choir directed by Asaph, one of the great choir leaders of Israel who wrote some of the Psalms. And we're, we're going to rejoice in God. And so we're longing for that. And that, these people did. They declared plainly, this world is not good enough. This is not my best life. My best life is to come. And I want to be faithful now, so I'm ready for them. And then he says in verse 15, truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. You know, Abraham and Sarai, they, Abraham and Sarah, they moved and they walked hundreds and hundreds of miles and they got to a new place and they were now living in tents and, and Sarai could have said, uh, Sarah could have said, hey, I'm tired of tents. I'm gonna go back to the big city where we came from. And they could have gone back, but they wouldn't go back because they believed God. And therefore, it says in verse 16, now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He has prepared a city for them. They believed in him. They trusted and followed him. They could have turned away, but they did not. So just a tiny little question. I didn't put it on the screen. Just to use, would God be ashamed of some of the stuff you did last week? Because if you follow him, if you trust him, and you're faithful to him, he will not be ashamed. If you don't, he might be. Are you living to prepare for your future home in heaven, seeking that homeland, a country with the Lord? Verses 22 and 23 talk about Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and, and that's covered in the last half of the book of Genesis. I'll look in verse 20. It says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, 
leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. He said, look, I know that God's going to deliver you out of this land. And so when you go, take my bones with you. I want to be buried in the promised land. And that's exactly what they did. So then he gets to Moses, verse 23, one of the favorite characters of a lot of people in the Bible. In fact, Moses is one of the most well-known people in the world uh, because Christians look back to Moses. Uh, Jewish believers look back to Moses. Uh, even the uh, Islamic people look to Moses and they see this great leader. All three of the major religions in the world all look to Moses as a great leader and, and a great man. We understand the truth of scripture that he was pointing people toward the coming Messiah. But some of them reject that part. By faith Moses, verse 23, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and were not afraid of the king's command. Now this doesn't mean if he'd been ugly they would have killed him. It means they saw this kid and they were rejoicing in God's provision and they wanted to, to benefit and bless this child. Verse 24, Moses, when he became of age, by faith he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked for to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of, of, of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Uh, and then he talks about the walls of Jericho and, and that. But listen, your life is shaped by the choices you make. We're looking at Moses and the choices that he made. That shaped his life, that shaped his world. His choices impacted the world. And those who trust and follow God leave a legacy and an impact far greater than those who don't. So, how many of you know who was Pharaoh in that day? You, know, you don't necessarily know the name of Pharaoh. Some of you do. How many of you know the name of the guy who led Israel out of Egypt? What was his name? Well, that was really weak. <laughs> Moses. He's the guy that did. So those who trust and follow God leave a legacy and an impact far greater than those who don't. Very few can name Pharaoh, but most of the people in the world recognize the name of Moses. Now, I want you to jump down to verse 32. And he says, uh, Time would fail to tell me of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and, and Samuel and the prophets. And, uh, and he tells about the great things they did. Who through faith they subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, uh, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, returned, or turned to flight the armies of the enemies, and women received their dead, raised to life again, 
See, faithful people found deliverance through their faithful God. Amen. Faithful people found deliverance through their faithful God. And we're kind of surprised to see Samson and Jephthah on that list because some of the choices they made were really bad choices. Um, and I skipped over the walls of Jericho and the deliverance of Rahab and her family. Every time Rahab's mentioned in Scripture, she's called Rahab the harlot. Every time. I think when we get to heaven, we'll just call her Rahab uh, because she was made new through following God. But you see, that's, that's not where the story ends, is it? See, in verse 35, it says others. And we love the stories of those who were delivered, but there's others, and they were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourging, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. See, some found deliverance through their faithful God. But some found deliverance to their faithful God. They weren't delivered on earth, but they were delivered. Amen. The Lord welcomed them home. Uh, Jesus stood to welcome home Stephen when Stephen was martyred and stoned for him. I think Stephen probably would have preferred to be an old guy like John, 60 years later, still serving the Lord. <coughs> But Stephen didn't get that opportunity. And he was delivered to his faithful God. Now he ends by saying that our blessing is even greater than their blessing. Mm. We, you and I, are named for Christ. We're called Christians. We are in his name. We are an assembly of believers as his body. We have blessings they don't have. Uh, they, without us, would not be made mature, apart from us. That, uh, but Hebrews 11, I started out saying, it was often called the roll call of faith. But Hebrews 11 is also called the testimony of God's grace. So just think about some of those people. It, each of those people struggled in some way because the Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. So anybody who's known you for a great length of time could tell something you have struggled with in your life. But after the flood, Noah got drunk and exposed himself. Abraham twice lied about his life, his wife. She was so beautiful he was afraid that, that Pharaoh would kill him and take her, so he lied. He, he told a half-truth that she was his sister when she was truly his wife. And uh, Sarah laughed when God first told her she would have a son because she was an old lady. I mean, how many of you ladies in your 70s or 80s would rejoice if God said, you're going to have a baby? Yeah. I don't know any lady that age who would rejoice. She might when she gets that old, but I don't know. Most ladies are not that strange. <laughs> she loved to have a little ladies around the house. 
But she was told she would have a baby and she laughed. It seemed beyond her capacity to comprehend. And yet about a year later, she delivered a little baby. And you know what she named him? Laughter, Isaac, the one who laughed. And then Jacob, who became Israel, a prince with God, Jacob was known as a deceiver, and he sought intimacy in wrong ways in his life. Moses had anger management issues. He even killed an Egyptian because he got upset and saw him beating another man, and so he killed him when he was young. I mentioned earlier, Rahab was a harlot. Gideon was a coward. Barak was afraid of facing the enemy without Deborah. Apparently, he did not trust God, but he trusted Deborah. If she was in the chariot with him, he'd go face the enemy. But he didn't trust the word of God. And Samson, Samson's just a case study of terrible, horrible, bad decisions, sinful, self-indulgent choices. And yet, God used him to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Jephthah led a great victory and then destroyed his own family. David was guilty of adultery and commissioning a murder. And Samuel tried to put his sons in leadership positions when they were clearly not qualified for it. And we see good people making terrible choices, but these people had enough faith in God that they acted with faithfulness at times when their faith and their faithfulness made a huge difference in their own lives and in their families, even in their nation. But they all struggled, just like us. Hebrews 11 is a testimony of God's grace. Even when we are unfaithful, our ever-faithful God was not. He is the ever-living, ever-loving, ever-faithful one. So our motto at Victory is helping people trust and follow Jesus Christ. We want them to trust Him as Savior. We want them to follow Him. That's what we want to do to help you trust and follow Him. So here's one last big thought. When your entire life is evaluated in the presence of God. Being faithful to him will be the most significant part of who you are and what you have done each day of your life on earth. That will be the measurement of your life. It won't be how long you lived. It'll be how well you served after you came to know Christ. The Holy Spirit is producing faith and faithfulness in your life as you trust and follow Jesus Christ. So what would people say about you? Would, would God be embarrassed by some of what you do? Well, you know, I, I kind of get the idea that when my behavior embarrasses my wife, it would also embarrass my Savior. And that happens sometimes. but we have the capacity to be faithful. So let's hold the bar high. Let's not lower the bar to we're down where we are. Let's raise our behavior up closer to the bar. Okay.
God is scaring me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your awesome love. We thank you for your grace. We pray that we would be faithful. And we thank you that we are recipients of your grace every single day of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.